Welcome to Leveling Up, where you'll learn from leading experts in talent development and explore how leaders in some of the world's most successful businesses approach employee development, manager training, and more. Please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also listen on our website at levelingup.co. Hello, my name is Mary and I'm with Marlo. And today I've brought on Jennifer Ferris from Farside HR Solutions and Squadly, as you see behind her, uh, to join us in a conversation around new hire onboarding. A few weeks ago, Jen and I had a chance to discuss what it meant to um, actually truly onboard your new hires and why that was so important. And today's talk is the first in a series of talks we'll be doing over the coming weeks to discuss how you as a team lead, whether you're a manager or HR leader, um, how you can enhance your new hire onboarding process to ensure that your team members are successful. Um, so, Jen, I would love for you to give an introduction of yourself and um, kick us off here. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, as you've mentioned, uh, I am the CEO of Farside HR, um, which is also uh, the developer for Squadly. Uh, Squadly is a platform that drives team performance through intelligent micropulsing feedback that connects people to purpose at any scale. We kind of like to think of ourselves as uh, the the Bowflex or um, you know the 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 full scale workout equipment for managers. So if you want to be an excellent manager, we are your fitness solution to do that. Uh, and so uh, I'm here uh, in my career, I've been an HR executive. And so uh, I'm very familiar with best practices for onboarding. I've seen it in small companies, large companies, and I'm really excited to be able to talk about the importance of that here today. Great. And so as you have been leading teams and helping them develop their new hire onboarding practices, um, what we'll kick off and I want, I want you to walk me through more information about what new hire onboarding is for you, but what are the kind of just high level takeaways that we're going to discuss today? Uh, the importance of the manager uh, and, and really just, I think it's also one of the biggest uh, potentially faults um, of a lot of companies that are getting uh, the first phase of onboarding processes um, is that they rely heavily on whoever's playing the HR role to, to manage that process. But the reality is the manager really is the central figure and the most important, uh, I mean, oftentimes even the reason people are joining this organization. And so they really do need to play a very significant role. Um, so we'll talk a lot about that. But then, you know, more broadly, just why onboarding is important maybe now more than ever, uh, given kind of the change in the way uh, that we're seeing just traditional work, uh, the traditional workforce evolve um, much more into, you know, gig economy, uh, you know, and really even talking about the fact that, you know, tenure at organizations isn't what it used to be. And so we have a lot of fluidity in the movement of talent right now. And so onboarding them quickly, getting them up and running, productive, um, and then being, and then hopefully that leads to retention, uh, you know, is, is now more important than ever. I couldn't agree more. As we have members coming on tomorrow, one of the biggest challenges we're facing is that they don't really know what's expected of them, either in their new role or really just the culture that they're dealing with. They're not sure how to behave on a day-to-day -day basis. And even those minor details can really set you back as a new member of the team. You know, you're thinking about what time should I come in? Is that if everybody says be here at nine, but I'm getting in it you know, 915, is that a huge deal? Like whatever the case might be, but that new hire onboarding is really such an important part of uh, hitting the ground running and kickstarting their entire process. Great. Well, I think you came with a presentation today. Should we jump right into it? That sounds great. Let me see what I can do to share my screen here. Okay. Well, uh, thank you again um, for having me here. Uh, as I mentioned, one of the things that I'll be talking about right now is is this future of work concept and, and why onboarding now is so important um, for this kind of blended workforce we are starting to see. Uh, so really what does the workforce look like and why should it impact how we onboard talent? And by the way, I think this probably is also hidden. Does that work better? Can you see that? Um, yeah, you're good. All right. Uh, so, so what does the workforce look like? We like to call here at Squadly uh, that the workforce is melting. 
The workforce is melting and the flow of talent is accelerating. And, and what does this really mean? And it goes back to that idea that I mentioned that the traditional workforce is melting, that very hierarchical, bureaucratic kind of top-down model that we're so used to it is getting broken. And in part, it's getting broken because the U.S. freelance market, actually the global freelance market, is growing at a very significant rate. So just over the next decade, we are going to see another 30 million people in the freelance space. Now, this may include people that are just doing their side hustle, but the reality is um, it's going to represent the majority of the U.S. workforce. So people inevitably are going to be thinking about all the various opportunities they could be going to do, whether it is freelance or moving jobs um, or, or taking on a side hustle, uh, simply because that's going to be the nature of how we operate overall. And, and so, and this is coming from a shift in what is really valued. Um, whether you wanna talk about the millennial generation, um, this is really pervasive across generations and across industries. People are looking for more work-life balance. They're looking to learn and, and uh, develop new skills. In fact, in the last, uh, when, when traditional workforces or companies, I should say, uh, want to go and find talent that knows the latest and greatest technology or information in order to get their work done, chances are it's not going to come from the people that they've already hired internally. Freelancers and people within the gig economy are learning new skills faster and more regularly than those that are already in kind of, quote, traditional companies or workforces. And so just the idea of constantly learning and training to new things is becoming a higher and higher priority. And then ultimately job growth. I mean, we know that so many of the people that uh, you know, we work with, including ourselves probably in many cases, are looking to get to that next stage in our career. Well, what's the fastest way to, to get to be a CEO. And that's really to become your own boss. That's really to be your own manager. And so there is, again, this shift in, should I stay in a traditional company or you know, um, go full-time into an organization? Or should I just maybe lend my services, but I get to kind of run my, my shop, so to speak. And then this idea that ultimately dollars and cents right now is becoming more valuable than kind of your traditional benefits. Uh, and this is kind of more of the HR angle. Uh, you know, we in Silicon Valley and in the Bay Area are very tech influenced. And so stock and equity play a big role. Uh, but when you look beyond that, uh, people are really uh, seeking bottom line dollars um, and uh, more interested in that uh, and procuring their own benefits potentially than having the company um, just provide kind of a benefits package and a more moderate cash uh, package. So this is a shift in what's valued, but the, the reality is it's not just freelancers that are moving from job to job, project to project. Churn is increasing at a rapid rate across all of the probably most well-known companies. Uh, both in Silicon Valley, in the Bay Area, and, and beyond um, in the tech industry. And this is specific to tech, but the reality is, um, this is there is an average of a 1.4-year uh, retention at these organizations, with two years seeming to be really good. Um, this is clearly a shift from even just where the world was, you know, five, ten years ago. And, and the reality is, I mentioned this isn't just tech. There's a 4.1% overall uh, unemployment rate in the U.S., and that's going down year over year. And in the Bay Area right now, statistically, we're at zero unemployment. Uh, that basically means there are there are, you know, everyone has a job. Now we all know um, that you know that may not be entirely true but it just means the competition for the roles that are available get incredibly high and you really have to put your best foot forward in order to recruit and retain the best talent. So 
So getting back to how and why does this impact onboarding? Well, it really comes down to some simple math. If you believe that 1.4 years or 15 months is the average tenure most of the organizations we're most familiar with, and at best, it takes three months to get onboarded and up and running to be productive in a job, and then about three months of lost time on the back end as you're thinking about leaving, you kind of get disengaged, start looking for something else, you may have 11 months, so less than one year, of time of optimal work contribution per hire that you make. And if you go by some of the data that's out there, a lot of data says it takes at least eight months to get fully up and running in a job, so which cuts this time down in half quite a bit. So not only is this not sustainable, I mean, you have a lot of time and money, you know, goes towards recruiting um, nowadays to get someone, you know, not just in the door, but then truly up and running and productive. But with the future of work out there, you also need to think about onboarding many types of people. So again, not just people that might be in it for the traditional employment relationship, but people that might be coming in for six, nine, 12 months to just do key projects. You'd have to think about onboarding and integrating them into your team faster and, and more effectively because you still want the same output without it disrupting the culture of your team. And so really at the end of it all, traditional practices just are no longer conducive to this new world that we're entering. And here are just some numbers to think about. So ultimately, if the primary goal of onboarding is to educate, incorporate, engage, and ultimately get to productivity uh, out of a new hire as quickly as possible, we are, we are currently failing. Most companies are currently failing. The organizational costs of an employee are estimated to be between 100 and 300% of the replaced employee's salary. And this obviously includes, you know, just the overall loss of productivity. But it is incredibly expensive to have to think about not just recruiting, but then the cost of that turnover uh, and what it does to your, your current team, how they may lose productivity, um, the ultimate, ultimately the projects they're walking away from, and then of course, starting up the, the hiring process again. 33% of new hires look for a new job within their first six months. And we'll obviously talk about how I believe, um, we believe onboarding uh, can significantly, significantly cut down on that percentage. Uh, it, this is one of the statistics that said it typically takes eight months for a newly hired employee to reach full productivity. And that may you know, depend on the company, but ultimately we all know even just getting acclimated to a team, uh, you know, getting to know the people around you, that takes time. And both in the U.S. and the U.K., an estimated $37 billion is spent annually to keep unproductive employees who don't understand their job. This is, I mean, when you really think about it, I mean, it, it's kind of ludicrous. Um, you know, we would rather spend money retaining talent that may not be the right talent, they may not be productive, they may want to leave, they're actively disengaged, but because we're so afraid of the turnover and the recruiting process or other elements, you know, we, we try to retain them and that ultimately causes a lot of problems too. But organizations that do really think about a standard onboarding process and the overall experience, um, experience 50% greater new hire retention and productivity. So, this is where you know onboarding, um, orientation, uh, you know, just having a very high touch process can really impact your bottom line in a meaningful way, in a very fast, uh, very quickly. But you know, I, I threw in a, a few kind of jokes for fun, but the reality is, this is still what a lot of employees experience on some level on their first day. So. Um, the office team one, which, which I find kind of funny only because I've seen it happen so many times, you know, are you okay to start on Monday? By the way, I'm not telling anyone you're coming, so they won't have anything ready for you. You don't even have a desk yet. You can just wing it. Right. Um, 
I, without mentioning names of organizations I've been with, and I would say probably more than 50%, I've had this happen at least once or twice where you just kind of show up and you're like, you've got this, right? Like I've got some stuff to do over here. So uh, I think, you know, this is ultimately just trying to say we can do better. Um, and by setting our new people up for success, uh, they'll be better advocates for us and for those organizations they work for. Because it really is more than just the first day. So here I've, I've laid out uh, in my ideal world a very high level uh, schedule of what a true onboarding practice looks like. And as you can see, it's way beyond the first day. In fact, it should start before that employee even walks in the door. Uh, as soon as they sign that offer letter, there should be a kickoff uh, between the manager and HR to reach out and really make that uh, new employee feel welcome. All the way through uh, a year later, because if it takes eight months to really onboard and get to productivity, uh, you know, checking in at the year mark, making sure that they, this is the job that they actually signed up for, making sure that they are excited about their career at this company, it really puts a nice bow on the end of a very uh, probably like hyperactive experience. I mean, we all know what it takes to get up and running at these companies. It can be incredibly uh, uh, challenging for some. And so uh, by the end of the year, think about it as more of a career retention chat, but something that, you know, sets them up for that next year uh, and hopefully makes them a more valuable employee to you. And areas of onboarding. So this to me is, uh, you know, what we don't just look at the individuals we onboard. We don't just look at the role. We have to look at the whole package. And it starts with thinking about the company. This person ultimately joined an organization, an organization that has hopefully some sense of a mission, vision, values, some sense of culture that they believe defines themselves as being different from their competitors. This needs to be an inspirational, aspirational, uh, piece of the onboarding process that's, that happens on day one. This person needs to know, why did I join this company? What do they believe in? Why am I here? What makes this company special? How do I work with everyone else? How, how is the company set up to work? How do we manage? How do we think about management? All of these things set that employee up for, for one, being excited about where they now work. Um, it shows a lot of thought that goes into um, the company and what they think and how they believe in talent at an organization. Uh, and then there are some specific companies that genuinely just are in a unique industry. And a lot of people walking in the door have no idea what that industry entails. Um, you know, I uh, was the interim uh, uh, head of HR for Flexport. Um, which is a fabulous company, but they're in freight forwarding and logistics. And I will say, I personally had very little insight into what that um, meant. Uh, you know, I know that, you know, my, my, uh, the things that I order online end up at my house, but, but I didn't have a deep understanding of how that actually happened. And, and so they did a wonderful job of educating, of taking you through the whole life cycle and of really making employees uh, not only feel connected um, to the company, but, but, to, but connected to the industry and really um, you know, got everyone excited about the disruption that was happening there. So I think that onboarding the company is a very important piece. Onboarding the team, now this is where uh, obviously the manager plays a big role. But as we've all probably read in various management books, there's this concept of forming, storming, norming, and performing. And you go through kind of this whole life cycle to get to a team that's truly performing. And every new person that comes on board can disrupt potentially that balance. And so they have to be integrated and onboarded very thoughtfully so that they can get to performing very quickly. So the team, the manager has a big role to play in really uh, integrating this person 
uh, in a meaningful way. Potentially they have their own team vision, values, and culture. And of course, team goals. And you're gonna hear me mention goals a lot. Setting this person up for success means this person understands what's expected of them. And then finally, the role. Um, what this person might be walking in as a designer or an engineer or a marketer. So what does this role do at this particular company and how does it fit into everything else that's happening? Um, what are the expectations for this role? Who does this role interact with and how are they expected to work together? Um, and then generally, what are their various tools and how we work concepts that are specific to this role? And then finally, oftentimes we, we get focused on the company. We get focused on maybe some of the tactical elements like benefits and, and uh, you know, computers and tech and all of those things. But we can never forget to onboard the specific person too. And, and this person should be having this conversation really with their manager and with HR. Again, in a one-on-one -on -one capacity potentially even um, for everyone that comes on board. And the question, and, and this should be in the first one-on-one -on -one that this person has with their manager, but it, it's part of the onboarding process. And it's how does this person like to be managed? All of our managers we've ever had in our life have different styles of management, potentially different values. But the reality is the people that we are managing all have their own particular unique qualities about them. That means certain style of management impacts them um, more effectively. And so we should be having that conversation up front. How do they like to be managed? How often do they like feedback? You know, what are their career ambitions? So as a manager, I can help them along the way. From an HR perspective, perhaps there's some special accommodations that need to be made. Um, maybe this person has special interests outside of work that, you know, they would, they want to uh, make the company aware of in case there's, you know, anything that's potentially conflicting or just, you know, a way to get to know the person, um, you know, to connect with them on, on a different level. So all this to be said, there's multiple areas of onboarding to think about. And I think that really, um, you know, as we think about companies and the overall onboarding practices, we typically see, uh, generally speaking, the four of these boxes don't get hit. You may get one, maybe two. And so with that, the central figure of all of this is still the manager. And, and again, I think that might be a, a bit of a shift in thinking to a lot of, um, for a lot of companies in the way that they have typically onboarded people. But the manager is the constant. For each person that walks in, that manager is maybe the reason they joined, but they are the ones that that person likely deals with on a day-to-day -day basis. And the manager's also the one ultimately accountable for this team and the work that this person will be producing. The manager, as we all know, can also make or break this experience. So as we think about retention and you know, the productivity of an individual and their onboarding experience, the manager is the first person we should be looking to to ensure that they feel, uh, to ensure that employee feels like they got a high touch experience. And, and fast onboarding, not sloppy and not cutting corners, but fast, effective onboarding to get that person to a productive state is critical in this fluid market. And the manager, more often than the HR person, will have more um, insight into how to quickly get this person you know, up and running inside of their team very quickly. And, they, and so ultimately the manager is, is taking these very agile goals, fast moving companies um, that you know, are, are making different decisions potentially every month, taking that and, and trying to blend it and meet in the middle with this very fluid people market that we have. So again, uh, both full-time employees, gig economy employees, they are trying to get the work done 
with these particular individuals with a plan that's often very, very often changing. And ultimately retention, as we all know, is really driven um, by a manager who takes the time to really do this full routine, this full cycle um, you know, of management. And, and this is actually what, what Squadly helps with. Um, so I'm particularly passionate about it, but it's really about you know, setting goals and coaching and feedback conversations, knowing who's accountable and being accountable for your team. Um, making sure they have the proper time off, they're connected to the proper people around them, that they know the vision, mission, values, and that they know their role within their goals. So we're particular fans of RACI, but it can be anything that ultimately identifies your role within the goal structure and, and how you will be, um, how you play within that experience. But Although the manager is the centerpiece, so to speak, uh, there's obviously a lot of players involved um, for a truly successful onboarding process. That goes from the people team, the manager's team, so the existing team that that manager oversees, um, the executives of that company and getting their buy-in and making sure that they see the value in this experience. And then ultimately the employee themselves. I mean, I think in some ways overall, um, we get away from the fact that everyone still owns their own destiny and needs to take ownership of their own experiences. I think companies sometimes try to enable experiences a little too much, um, but those, that employee can, uh, can help ensure that their onboarding process is effective uh, for them. So kind of in conclusion, just some tips to consider as you think about potentially starting your own onboarding. Uh, and this is by no means exhaustive. Uh, but ultimately, I think we all think about onboarding starting um, you know, after the offer letter signed, maybe at the earliest. But the reality is it starts with the job description. It starts at the moment that manager says, hey, I need someone on my team. And why is this? I can't tell you how many people have showed up for their first week and was like, this is not the job I was sold, or I'm not sure what I'm doing here. Uh, I think that the, that job description has to be fully thought through. That manager needs to know why they need this role, what this person will be doing, and almost have the onboarding plan written out, meaning 30, 60, 90 day goals before you ever open the role. That way, you know that not only do you really need this role, and it's not just an additional headcount for the sake of additional headcount, uh, but this person will have a plan and likely get to be productive much, much faster. Uh, from an HR perspective, your role should really become more strategic. HR, I this should be about thinking about the global plan of onboarding. What is your company's talent strategy? And then put together a mock-up onboarding plan, you know, to, to present to the executives and get buy-in from them. And always, always attach metrics and ROI to why this is important and why people should spend time on this. And then the executive team not only needs to buy in, um, because one of the things that I do find is uh, often a failure is a inconsistent onboarding process. Meaning I just need someone to start. So I'm just gonna have them start any day of the week. Um, I'm just gonna give them an hour's kind of download. I don't have time to put them through the company's onboarding program. And I think that that is an unfortunate fail. Uh, and I understand why managers you know, and companies oftentimes will allow it, but I think it ultimately in the long run, it does a disservice. And so having executive buy-in to really understand the value of a true onboarding program uh, is incredibly important um, to also give managers the air cover and support that they need um, you know, to allow their new employees to go through this program uh, you know, in full. 
And then define the executive role. What do you want your executives to play? And this may be different depending on the size organization you're at, but the executive role is vitally important. And oftentimes, especially if you're still at a founder-led company, uh, they're, they're very inspirational. I mean, oftentimes, like this is their idea, their baby that's come to fruition, and you're joining this enterprise or this mission. And, and so hearing from the founder, hearing from certain executives um, can be very inspiring. And that's ultimately the feeling you want your new hires to believe. As soon as they walk out of that room on day one, day seven, day 30, they want to feel inspired by being there. And they want to understand why they're there. So all of that to be said, if you think about onboarding in this very holistic fashion, in a way that's really focused on getting people productive, but also getting people inspired and seeing it as a real value um, to the company, then you will get people that love their jobs and you will see uh, more retention and you will actually get more value out of those uh, people long-term uh, in a variety of ways, not just, uh, you know, at their desk doing their work, but they'll be more inclined to recruit people for you, refer people in the door, be advocates and voices for the company. So uh, happy to take any questions um, and talk through anything else at this time. So great. Thank you for taking the time to walk us through that. Um, I have a lot of questions. But the most kind of pressing one is you, you brought up the importance toward the end there of the job description and recruitment process in the role of onboarding. And I'd love for you to dive into that a little bit deeper. Um, how can you pull in team members at that stage? You know, when you're developing a job description, coming up with your spec, how can you get everybody on board before you start recruiting and before you make an offer so that that new hire is coming into a situation where not only do they have a clear understanding of the role they're getting themselves into, but so does everybody else. And everybody kind of knows why this person's coming in. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, this may be, you know, a little harder for some of the smaller companies that maybe don't have a dedicated recruiting team. Um, so I'll try to, to give kind of tips for, for each stage. Uh, but, but I think ultimately, at least crafting from beginning to end what you as the manager, without anyone else's involvement at first, what you as the manager envision for this role, why it's important, the, the ROI you expect from the, the job is actually half the battle. I think that as soon as you've created that argument, it is incredible. It's much easier to get executive buy-in. It is much easier for teams to be able to see the value that they're going to get um, out of this person coming in. And therefore, they will likely rally because if you are a fast-growing company too, adding additional headcount is oftentimes you know, uh, not seen as a negative for these potentially overburdened teams. Um, but, you know, if it is a, if you're at that stage of a company where the roles are starting to get narrower and you were kind of the generalist doing everything and now your role is getting impacted by this person coming in, um, that's honestly where, where good management just comes into play. And this is where career conversations with the impacted individuals need to come in sharing with them what their role is going to look like, their new goals. But I think it ultimately comes down to being clear about what the roles are, um, knowing what kind of goals and what kind of impact they're going to have, um, because it's much easier to explain to everyone than the ROI of the position uh, and, and very easy to get people on board. You read my mind though, right? It's that feeling between a coworker who this new hire could make their job much easier, but it could also feel like a threat if you're thinking, wait, that's what I was supposed to be working on. And now they're suddenly owning it. What's going on here? Mm-hmm. And I, this, this has happened to me in multiple organizations where I've been bringing on a lot of new hires and the, you know, if the communication doesn't happen, it can create some real friction. One of the things I actually often tell managers, you know, in support of them uh, is even just, the reason this is happening is because this person likely has done their job well and the company is successful. And so it's just part of growth at these companies where you need to get more specialists in the door. Uh, but that doesn't mean that that person's role hasn't been in, 
immensely impactful. In fact, it's probably been so impactful the company's seen success. And so um, with success often does come change, um, but change doesn't have to be bad. Fair enough. I think mean, that's great. So now you've gotten kind of more toward that first week. You, you've gone through this process of making sure that every new hire has a clear role. They understand this role before they even receive an offer letter, mm-hmm. hopefully, you know, and that's a, that's a lot of work up front and it's, it's always a complex problem. But um, and now they've started their first day, first day, first week. How would you differentiate new hire orientation mm-hmm. from new hire onboarding? I find that this is something that often gets mixed together, especially for people who are outside of HR. Absolutely. I, I think new hire orientation is part of onboarding. So onboarding is the macro program. It's that 360-day approach. It is, <clears throat> excuse me, it is making sure that uh, employees not only know, you know, where to, to find you know, the snacks and, and what their benefits are. Um, it is really about making them feel included in this new family effectively that they are joining. And, and so I think that that is, that is onboarding. Orientation is day one. Orientation is, this is who we are. This is you know, your benefits. This is your IT update. This is you know, maybe a bit of the history of the company. Um, you know, it's a little more of maybe the traditional uh, kind of welcome first day stuff. Um, but I find onboarding to be uh, a much more integrated experience and uh, in, in ensuring that that individual is set up for success. And as you're getting them through to, they've gone through the orientation, now they're coming onto your team. Do you have any tips for managers who are looking to bring their, their team member up you know, like, what do you balance, I guess, the different way of saying this, what, what would you balance in terms of bringing somebody on board technically, so getting them up to speed on all the technical components they'll need to have, and bringing them on, as you mentioned, like, personally, and like, understanding their work style, is there an art to, which one do you do first, and, you know, as a, as a manager, there's all these different things moving around, where do you start? So, so I think, um, so it's a great question and, and I know it's very easy to talk and, and kind of say, you should just be doing all of this. And this is what, you know, uh, but it is time. All of this takes time. It takes often, uh, oftentimes time away from the work that you think you're supposed to be doing. Um, but the reality is the role of the manager, this is in large part your job. This is, this is what the role of the manager should be. Now the company you're at may not have enough bandwidth set up appropriately for you to be doing that job effectively. And that's a different issue. Um, But, you know, getting this person onboarded um, technically, you know, I think, you know, you want to make sure they know what they're doing. You want to make sure that, you know, they know the goals expected of them. I would actually say if you've done the vetting process, right, the interview process, right, that part shouldn't take that long. I think that, you know, there's always some kind of, you know, we often um, have managers set up kind of weekly meetings and kind of check-ins to say, all right, how are you doing? What do you need help with? And I think that those meetings are very appropriate to kind of take in, okay, what are you missing here or any obstacles people may be having to getting up and running technically? But I think the harder piece is this true integration into the organization. And, and, and in particular, the team and just making sure and it's beyond going to lunch the first day is ensuring that this person uh, has a meaningful understanding of, again, not just what they're working on, but, but how it inter- interacts with everything else. Uh, and and how that may impact the relationships they have at the company, who they need to have relationships with at the company. Uh, and, and I think the manager is just kind of the first line of defense on or the first line of offense um, to to ensuring that person is set up to start building these relationships. And it really feels like the manager could almost out like now just delegate. Um, some of that technical onboarding, if they have a great structure set up with their team, that's an awesome opportunity for another coworker to bring them up to speed. And now you're not spending so much time. So that excuse is yeah. no longer there, which is great. And now you're spending that time more just with those conversations. Absolutely. Um, the individual themselves. So there's always a gap. I, I find always a gap between 
what somebody expects of the role and what actually happens within the first few weeks. And whether that's coming from the role itself or the company or the dynamics, things that you don't necessarily think about uh, until you're in the role. Mm-hmm. What responsibility do you think the individual has? And you know what, what advice would you give to a new hire, regardless of seniority even, uh, as they enter into that new role and, and try to onboard themselves a little? So I, I, like I kind of said at the very end, I think the individual has has a meaningful amount of control on how their experience goes. Uh, As much as I've talked about the manager being the center of it, if the employee needs a one-on-one, they should ask for a one-on-one. They shouldn't just sit back and wait. Uh, And one of the things that I I often uh, say throughout this kind of one-year experience is have various points of check-ins. And that's not just in one-on-one, but that's pulsing like maybe, you know, feedback, upward feedback to the manager, upward feedback to HR, getting getting feedback from the individuals that are going through this onboarding process so we can all get better. Um, nothing should ever feel perfect um, because we should always, always be trying to improve. And so uh, I think those individuals have not just... Um, a responsibility to themselves to to really kind of ensure that they have what they need to be successful. But I'd like to think they share a bit of responsibility in kind of the future hires that come through to make sure that, you know, the company is, is also always learning and improving and the people a part of this process continue to get better. I couldn't agree more. How, when you mentioned feedback though, as a new hire, I do imagine that it can be difficult to give mm-hmm. feedback. So both for the, from the perspective of the new hire, but also the manager, um, how can that conversation be facilitated in a way that is really safe for everybody to, mm-hmm. like, I, I can imagine if you're a new hire and it's not quite what you expected or, you know, some things are happening in that first few months that, that you didn't expect to come up. To bring that up, there's a lot of fear around, will they think that I don't want to work here? Will they think that I'm difficult? Right? How do you bring those conversations up Definitely. Well, when it's when they're still very new, um, I actually have done more. I have HR, the people team, uh, kind of proactively go out and collect information. So either, whether that's through, and sometimes both, an actual one-on-one with the new person to get feedback, um, you know, to ask about their overall experience, to ask, hey, is there anyone else you may want to refer into the company? It's like an overall kind of how are things going. But then also uh, surveys. I mean, surveys are a great opportunity to just collect feedback that's a little less threatening. And I do think, uh, you know, ultimately, um, you if, if you will see patterns uh, if, you know, if they're connected to the same manager, the same organization, uh, and, and that's always helpful. Um, you know, but, but I agree it is, it's not easy asking for feedback or to deliver feedback. Uh, I wish it is something that most people and most organizations just, you know, were better at naturally. It is hard. Uh, but I think this is where HR can play a role in, in being a facilitator and being a friend. Um, the other place, uh, and it's a, a program a lot of companies have, but um, the buddy program, you know, having um, another employee who's more of a peer, just kind of like be there to help support you. You can train your buddies to also ask these questions and it's a lot less threatening experience when it comes from a colleague and they're just out to lunch and they're just like, Hey, so like anything you think that we can be doing better. That kind of conversation is so essential. And I think it happens more and more frequently, but then sometimes there's the disconnect between the buddy and like that information actually coming in. And so I think having it a little bit organized, a little bit facilitated by the team in terms of like, this is an official process, um, but not so much that it feels mm-hmm. too manufactured, right? Yeah. Um, I think there's multiple avenues and you can pick what makes sense for your culture. Absolutely. For the new, the manager kind of rolling into this new hire onboarding, getting started with the team, how can a manager step up to make sure that um, the individual is, feeling welcomed by the team. So in terms of that introduction, you had your cartoon and I love that cartoon of like, hey, you're going to show up and nobody's going to know why you're here. And I find that this happens quite often, maybe not to that extreme, but there's varying extremes for sure. 
how can a manager introduce a team member to the team in a successful way? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, I'm a big fan of, uh, so I do this very often um, with my teams, but I'm a big fan of going off site and actually not just going and having fun, although that's always a part of it. Um, but it, it's actually more of a, a planning session. It's more of, you know, like we have to think about what we're doing as an organization. We have to understand and play our roles. Uh, you know, think jointly about, you know, the goals we're working on. Um, people are ultimately driven, motivated, excitement, excited about achievement, about the things that they'll actually be impacting and so I like to always kind of start there and kind of get everybody aligned. Um, and then from there, you know, you get, especially when you're out of the office, you know, you get people talking more personally about themselves. You get them opening up and, and sometimes I'll provoke those questions too, but you know, you get people in an environment um, where they get to express their interests and, and get connected um, you know, to each other and to the things that they're working on. So even if they don't have natural interests that align, they are working on things that are aligned. And so, you know, you create experiences and opportunities um, for them to, to connect and meet and hopefully get integrated very quickly. But I do really enjoy, and I know not all teams can do it, especially if you're distributed, but I actually, I've, I've worked with a lot of distributed teams at Squadly. We're an entirely distributed team. And I make sure to see everybody, you know, whether it's face-to-face -face on, on camera or face-to-face -face in person on a regular basis, just to, just to have that connection. That's great. We have a few more minutes left, and I would love to just walk through the, the way that onboarding can vary for a manager, depending on the size of a company or the stage of a company, and um, any, you know, quick tips and tricks for how to do it successfully? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as you get to the larger companies, I think you start talking more about universities. I mean, you, that's where you really start kind of thinking of onboarding as a learning experience. It's like your first phase of university, all the 101 classes that you're going to go through. Um, and, and, and that's fantastic. And when you have those resources I mean, it, it can be an incredible experience, uh, and it's certainly a unique value proposition as you get to some of those larger orgs. Understanding that that can be an expensive and time-consuming proposition, though, for most companies, um, I would just kind of say, you know, it comes down to, to ultimately ensuring two points are, are very clear, well thought out, programmatized, however you want to, you know, do it. But it's it's why are you here? So it's going back to that company box, getting them to be inspired about why they chose this company over a competitor or another organization. And then what is expected of you? What will you be working on? You know, how will it impact the company's vision? Uh, you know, and, and making sure that they understand, again, like what, what is expected of their role? What should they be working on? What are their goals? Who are they working with? Um, if you can, you know, take care of those two buckets, I think it takes care of most 75% of the core questions and the core issues that typically come out of, of um, poor onboarding programs. Uh, I think, you know, people want to be inspired. They want to be inspired by the company they're at. They want to be inspired by the team they're working with. Um, and they ultimately want to be doing good work. You know, I think then the manager just needs to take, um, you know, the next step at some point to then have the career dialogues and all those things. Uh, but, but I think if you can really say, what, why are you here and what is it you will be doing and do those in meaningful ways, um, I think you can do that at any scale. Thank you. Is there anything else you would like to add just in general for best practices? Um, you know, I think uh, oftentimes I think that it is hard just to get started. Um, and, and I just want to reiterate, you know, there's so many companies um, that either don't understand or feel like they're too new to value onboarding or to, or to have an onboarding program. And I would just encourage to say, 
you don't have to be, you don't kind of get to a size where then onboarding is helpful. I think onboarding at any scale is important. Um, it may evolve over time. In fact, I hope it does. Um, but to have some type of consistent practice um, from the moment of inception as you bring any new person on board um, is just critically important. And I don't think that we can overlook it. Uh, it really will impact everything else that you're doing, uh, especially too, I mean, we didn't even talk about the onboarding of managers themselves. I mean, to be able, as you're bringing on a new leader into the company, that person has to speak your language and that person has to you know, articulate and not and 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 value through actions. You know how you expect your managers to behave, and so they need they need also an onboarding on that as well. Um, you know, as as they get integrated into a new environment. So I just think that there's so many um, critical elements to a, a solid onboarding program, um, and it's not to be overlooked. Um, but but also to not get overwhelmed by it, you can scale it up with time um, and really just start with why are you here and what will you be doing as kind of basic starting points. Why are you here and what are you doing? I like that. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to walk us through all of these topics. And uh, as you partner with organizations, why would a company bring you on and how can they get in touch with you? Uh, thanks for asking. I mean, so uh, as I mentioned, we we actually have two sides of our business. So we're uh, an HR consultants. Uh, and so we often work with companies that are just looking to build out a variety of HR practices, starting with their talent strategy all the way, you know, to to the actual programs like onboarding. Um, so we're we're happy to, to meet with organizations of any size or industry on that. Uh, you know, and then our, our product is actually, uh, you know, as I mentioned, it's really meant for managers and teams and companies that that see value in making managers like most effective and really the the ones, um, you know, that that believe in goals and feedback and career uh, conversations and one-on-ones and, and setting up alignment and setting up team dynamics. Um, this is what we believe in in Squadly, all of these elements, uh, you know, planning engagement and performance. Again, it's, it's not about, you know, what cookies and snacks you have in the back room. Um, it's about what people are, are meaningfully doing every day and the managers at the center of that. So we're here to, to help those managers be awesome. I've seen your product. It's amazing. And I encourage everyone to check it out. So where can they find you? Um, so www.squadly.com or um, you can always email me personally um, or our uh, overall alias is just info at Squadly. Great. Well, thanks for your time, Jennifer. I look forward to having you back for more discussions on other management topics in the future. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Head over to levelingup.co to join our newsletter and to find past episodes. 